In the town of Córdoba in southern Spain, there stands a magnificent stone church, dubbed Catedral de Nuestra Señora de la Asunción, or the Cathedral of Our Lady of the Assumption. It was completed in the 16th century following what's become known as the Reconquista, or the Christian reconquering of Spain from the Arabs and the Jews, both of whom have been living and settling in the southern half of the Iberian Peninsula for over 800 years. What makes this church so unique is that it was built over and even incorporated elements from the original structure into its own architecture. What was the original structure, you might ask? The answer may surprise you. A mosque. Constructed in 786, it was the first permanent building to firmly establish Arab presence in Spain, and was the crown jewel of a legacy that ruled over the southern half of the country for a whopping eight centuries before falling to Christian forces during the Reconquista. Just who were these Arabs who came to rule much of Spain? Where did they come from? And what became of their culture and presence following the Reconquista? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to the History Loves Company podcast because history is shaped by all of us. The decline and eventual fall of the Roman Empire created quite a tumultuous socio-political climate for Spain, or Hispania, as the Romans called it. In the early 5th century, the Vandals, a Germanic people who originally hailed from what's now Poland, fleeing advancing Hun forces in Eastern Europe, sacked and leveled whole towns and cities in Gaul, present-day France, before ultimately settling in Spain in 409. Just nine years later, however, they too were invaded by the Visigoths, a rival Germanic tribe who not only conquered them, but also established a kingdom there. For three centuries this kingdom stood, albeit shoddily governed. At the same time, however, following the death of the Prophet Muhammad in 632, Islamic rule quickly spread throughout the Middle East and North Africa. The first Muslim dynasty, the Umayyads, was established in the Syrian capital of Damascus in 661, and quickly sought to increase its power and expand its influence into neighboring lands. By 711, the Umayyads, under the leadership of General Tariq ibn Ziyad, had arrived at Gibraltar on the southern tip of the Iberian Peninsula, after blasting through North Africa to quell what increasingly seemed to be an impending Visigothic civil war. The Visigoths, who by then had largely converted to Christianity, fought back against the Muslim forces at the Battle of Guadalete, in which their king, Roderick, lost his life, as did many other Visigothic noblemen, thus allowing the Umayyads to capture the capital at Toledo and consolidate the Visigoths under their rule. The Umayyads dubbed the conquered land Al-Andalus, meaning Land of the Vandals in Arabic, a reference to the Germanic peoples who populated the country three centuries prior. They quickly set about absorbing much of the Iberian Peninsula into their empire as well as southwestern France, but were pushed out of the latter country by heavy resistance. By 750, at the height of their empire, they had consolidated nearly all of Spain and the whole of Portugal into the province of Al-Andalus, which was among the largest caliphates under their rule. But their reign over Iberia was to be short-lived. That same year, the Abbasid Empire to the east, in what's now Iraq and Iran, expanded their territory westward, conquering Syria and therefore the Umayyad capital of Damascus in the process. The royal family was forced to flee, with the heir apparent, Abd al-Rahman I, undergoing a series of near-misses and narrow escapes, whilst evading the clutches of the relentless Abbasid mercenaries. With the Umayyad dynasty having crumbled following the Abbasid invasion, Al-Rahman traveled itinerantly throughout the Middle East and North Africa for five years before arriving in Spain in 755. While the Umayyads had been the first Islamic presence in the Iberian Peninsula, it was Al-Rahman's efforts that would establish a lasting Muslim legacy, one that can still be felt and seen to this day. 
The Al-Andalus Al-Rahman first laid eyes upon was quite different from the Umayyad-led caliphate five years prior. For starters, it was ruled over by a tyrannical governor known as Yusuf al-Fikhri, himself a former Umayyad statesman before becoming an independent ruler following the dynasty's collapse. Needless to say, upon receiving word that the exiled prince had arrived in Spain, he was far from pleased. After all, he had enjoyed his time as a self-sufficient sovereign and was not about to let his former superior stand in his way. In the beginning, al-Rahman's sole purpose was to establish a settlement for those who, like him, had been displaced as a result of the Abbasid invasion. News of his arrival spread like wildfire throughout Spain, and he quickly gained support and followers. Invigorated by this, and seeing how despised the governor was, al-Rahman was easily able to win over both the cities of Seville and Malaga before setting his sights on the capital of al-Andalus itself, Cordoba. He and his supporters proceeded to lay siege to the capital, but not before Governor al-Fikhri led his own forces into battle against them. Upon seeing the sorry state of the exiled prince's makeshift army, the governor began throwing lavish parties in Cordoba each night in an attempt to win over the support of al-Rahman's followers. It didn't work. After days of struggle and fighting, al-Rahman and his forces emerged victorious. The capital fell to them, and al-Rahman declared himself emir of Cordoba the following year in 756. From there, he was able to quickly conquer the rest of the country, setting the stage for him to rule al-Andalus in its entirety. The people were grateful and glad to be rid of the former tyrant governor, and al-Rahman's first order of business was to commission a series of public works, most notably the aforementioned Cordoba Mosque, a grand structure and place of worship that would go on to serve the faithful and devout Muslims of Cordoba for nearly 500 years. These civil projects simultaneously urbanized the empire, but it was by no means an easy transition of power. No sooner had he declared himself emir did the threat of invasion present itself, not once, but twice. The first came in the 760s, when the Abbasids attempted to reconquer al-Andalus, the much-sought-after caliphate that had eluded them when they toppled the Umayyad dynasty a decade earlier. In 763, Abbasid Caliph al-Mansur appointed al-Ala ibn Mugit, governor of North Africa. Al-Mansur's plan was simple, to invade and overthrow the emirate of Cordoba, thus gaining control of the rest of the country. But al-Rahman wouldn't hear of it. Holding himself and a fraction of his forces up in a fortress just outside of Seville, Mugit's armies completely laid waste to the place. In a last-ditch effort, al-Rahman ordered the gates of the fortress be opened and stormed the Abbasids with as much ferocity and might as they could muster. Miraculously, they were able to defeat them, with al-Rahman sending the severed head of al-Ala back to al-Mansur as a warning. The second, more famous invasion was a campaign against Charlemagne, who, in the late 770s, pushed into Spain with the intent of extending Christendom and driving the Muslims out of Iberia. Naturally, al-Rahman fought back, thus saving al-Andalus from becoming an adjunct region of the rapidly expanding Carolingian. Empire. In the years following al-Rahman's death in 788, the emirate of Cordoba really rose to prominence. His son, Hisham I, succeeded him as emir and enjoyed eight years of rule before his own son, al-Hakam I, took over. The next thirty years would prove to be relatively peaceful. Then, in 822, al-Hakam passed away and was succeeded by his son, al-Rahman II, who sought to reform the emirate. He completely reorganized the bureaucracy to be more efficient and undertook a series of civic projects, including commissioning the construction of numerous mosques across the country. His reign saw flourishing of the arts, culture, and sciences, and Cordoba, in turn, became one of the great centers of learning in the Islamic world at the time. 
But history proves time and again to be a series of peaks and pitfalls. Upon al-Rahman II's death in 852, the emirate fell into decline. His successor, Muhammad I's reign, would be marred by political upheaval in the form of several rebellions and revolts. Local Arab lords gathered followers and fought against the government. During this time, Christian factions from northern Spain began pushing back against their Muslim neighbors to the south, triggering the aforementioned Reconquista, the gradual but eventual Christian reclamation of the entire country. For a period of over half a century, these skirmishes would severely weaken the emirate. It wasn't until Abd al-Rahman III assumed leadership in 912 that things would finally begin to look up for al-Andalus. By then, the country was in a sorry state, having been virtually turned upside down by all the infighting. Through force and diplomacy, however, he was able to quell any and all further revolts, restoring the emirate to its former glory. In 929, he declared himself caliph in response to a new Islamic power that had risen across the Mediterranean Sea in North Africa. Known as the Fatimids, they had ousted the Abbasids of their North African possessions, triggering an unofficial rivalry between themselves and the newly renamed Umayyad Caliphate of Cordoba in Spain. This period of the Umayyad Caliphate is considered by most historians to be the golden age of Al-Andalus. It was at this time that the city of Cordoba's population surpassed that of Constantinople, the capital of the Byzantine Empire on the opposite side of the Mediterranean, making it the largest city in Europe. Advances in agriculture triggered the Arab agricultural revolution, producing a bounty of crops that became the envy of medieval Europe. As under Al-Rahman II's rule nearly a century before, Cordoba's reputation as a leading cultural and academic center was restored becoming one of the greatest not just in Europe but in the entire Islamic world. Intellectuals, both European and Arab alike, flocked to its universities and libraries, exchanging ideas with one another. Extensive trade brought luxury goods as well as different cultures together in an environment that was arguably the most diverse on the continent at the time. Byzantine silk, crystals, both carved and raw from Egypt, gold and ivory from Ghana, these were just some of the riches that poured into the ports of Al-Andalus by the boatful, while ceramics, olive oil, grain, and wine were exported much to the delight of the Mediterranean world. For less than a century, the Umayyad Caliphate of Cordoba was a beacon of light and prosperity on the map of Europe. But then, between 1009 and 1013, a ruinous civil war broke out following a coup d'etat in which the then-Caliph, Hisham al-Hakam II, was deposed and replaced with one Muhammad II. In conjunction, invading Berber armies from North Africa sacked the city of Cordoba, burning the palace to the ground and massacring much of its citizenry. The weakened government, along with severe infighting, caused the Caliphate to break up into a series of independent principalities known as Taifas. By 1031, having fought amongst themselves and too weak to stand on their own, the Taifas sought help from the Almoravids, a Muslim Berber dynasty from the Maghreb region of Morocco. The Almoravids, seizing an opportunity to expand their empire, rose to the occasion, but, upon quelling the civil war, annexed all the Taifa kingdoms and absorbed them into their rule. For the next 200 years, Al-Andalus would see near-constant shifts in power, as well as political instability, as foreign power after foreign power gained and lost control control of the Taifas. The Almoravids were succeeded by the Almohads, also of North African origin, and both empires clashed with the ever-expanding Christian kingdoms of northern Spain, who, as the years wore on, continued to, quote-unquote, reclaim more and more land from Al-Andalus. By 1230, the only taifa still standing was the newly formed Emirate of Granada, the last Muslim stronghold in the country. Ruled over by the Nasri dynasty, it was the longest reigning dynasty in Al-Andalus, finally collapsing in 1492 when its last ruler, Muhammad XII, ceded his lands to Queen Isabella I of Castile. This act, along with the ensuing Spanish Inquisition, in which the remaining Muslims and Jews were driven out of Spain or forced to convert to Christianity, marked the end of Muslim Spain and, in turn, Al-Andalus.
With such a rich, vast, and complex history as this, there's surprisingly little left in the way of remnants of Islamic rule in Spain. That's largely because, with so many shifts in power and the ultimate Christian reconquering of the country, much was destroyed or else repurposed. The aforementioned Cathedral of Our Lady of the Assumption in Córdoba, for example, served as a mosque before the current structure was built over it in the 16th century. In Granada, a palace complex known as the Alhambra still stands, a beautiful example of Islamic architecture in Spain. What's more, the entire entire southern region of the country has, since the fall of the Emirate of Granada in 1492, been known in both English and Spanish as Andalucía, a sort of Spanish-Arabic hybrid name referring to the region's fascinating history. The remnants are there, oftentimes hidden in plain sight, if one only knows where to look. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year to all my followers and listeners. It's been an amazing journey and an incredible ride so far, and I'm excited to see where the podcast goes from here. Remember, if you like what you hear and would like to support this venture to ensure future quality content, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. If you go to anchor.fm slash historylovescompany, you'll find a support button on the main page. Click it and you'll find three monthly payment plans that fit your budget. Any and all help, even just listening, means so much to me, and I thank you for sticking with me. Also, be sure to follow me on Instagram at history loves company that's history underscore loves underscore company drop me a dm and say hello be sure to tune in next thursday and every thursday for a brand new episode of the history loves company podcast because history is shaped by all of us this is chester sakamoto signing off have a safe wonderful new year and i'll see you next time Music